And uh, as I mention every time when we uh, get together in our class, um, I, I realize when you teach a class on marriage, I mean, everybody has all kinds of different circumstances, different backgrounds, different places where you are in, in life. Um, and, and so we don't have that in common. What we do have uh, in common is the fact that we want to make our marriage better uh, than it is. And you've already done the best first step you can do, which is decide to find out what our Creator teaches about marriage. And when we learn that God decided, designed marriage and God started marriage, uh, then it just makes sense to find out what his plan is for it and, and to uh, imitate it as much as possible. As uh, we begin, there's eight things. I make these statements all the time. I just want to continue to plant them deeply in your heart and mind. Nothing can be taken back that's been done to this point. Uh, what's done is done. Number two, all you can hope to change is today and tomorrow. Uh, by the grace of God, they can change and be better. Number three, if you're struggling, you didn't get where you are in a day or a week or a month. Uh, so you're not going to get out in a day or a week or a month. Uh, but by the grace of God, uh, you can't get out. Number four, there's only one person you can control. Uh, and so I ask you focus on that uh, in here. I, I know we all have a tendency to say, well, that's a good one for my spouse to hear. You, you know, I get that. But in the end... Uh, what really matters is are we hearing what we're supposed to hear? Uh, hear me when I say any time even one person is trying to do what's right in a situation, it makes a situation way, way, way better. Uh, one person <laughs> under control instead of two people out of control <laughs> is way, way better. Uh, number five, there's always hope as long as God is involved. Uh, remember, God is love. And so if you decided you've never loved, you can begin to love. If you don't love anymore, you can love again. If you decided you don't love as much as you should love, you can love more. Uh, God is love. Keep him involved. Uh, number six, uh, no one's destined to repeat the home in which you were raised. Uh, if it was bad, you can succeed. Number seven, no one's assured to have a great marriage. If you come from a home that had a great marriage, uh, you can fail. Number eight, the person to whom you're married now is the person to whom you're supposed to be married. Uh, we'll begin our class this week, again, answering questions. And uh, as you know, because last week in here, this is a marriage class, this is grown adults, uh, we spent a week talking about the physical relationship between a husband and a wife. And so, not surprisingly, our questions are all linked to that. And then we'll move on from, from that subject to... Uh, new things. Question number one, is it wrong to not have sex just because you don't want to, even though your spouse does? Uh, because of 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 5, I, I believe every spouse ought to make effort in their sex life to please their spouse at reasonable times. Uh, that means each one of you are going to have to make effort when you don't really want to. Uh, now, because of life being what it is, uh, whether it's things that are going on, whether it's issues with your body, uh, their health, there are going to be times when you are going to have to resist. Uh, it just, according to the Bible, shouldn't be done often. And listen, the, some of the best personal advice you ever get is, is that when you need to resist your spouse's advance, uh, listen, set up a different time, use a good tone, uh, and, and handle it that way. Uh, I think it's good to make a promise for a different time. And, and I do not believe that occasional rejections like this violate God's word. There's more than just 1 Corinthians 7 about this issue. 
Question number two, is it wrong to be mad if you have a special time together plan but it doesn't happen? You, you know, listen, real life is filled with things that don't work out like we planned. <laughs> Honest conversation in a good tone and a change to a new plan together, you know, sometimes that's all, that, that's as good as you can do. Uh, listen, too many people try to control their spouse with anger or fear of anger. Uh, just plan a different time together. Affirm your spouse as you change plans. Uh, frustration with schedule change, life changes, physical limitations. I mean, listen, th that's a part of life. If you ever think that this area or any area of your life are going to ever get to where you don't have any disagreements, you, you just, you're setting yourself up to fail. All right, and, and, and so get your expectations to be right. Uh, most men are highly sensitive to being rejected. Uh, by the way, that means most men need to work on that. And it also means most women should give some thought to how you reject and resist. Question number three, my husband and I have a different view on the sexual relationship and constantly fight about it. What should I do? Uh, begin by asking yourself, is your view of the sexual relationship consistent with God's view? Uh, when two people have God's view on this issue of life, uh, you're still going to have disagreements. But listen, you're, you're not just going to be constantly fighting about it when you both have God's view on this issue. Uh, and so what I would say to you is you can only control yourself. And so carefully think about this issue and whether your view of marriage intimacy is God's view and root out any wrong thinking. Uh, question number four, is oral sex wrong? What's appropriate for spicing up our physical relationship? How far is too far? Uh, listen, oral sex is neither biblical nor unbiblical. It's a personal preference. Listen, it is not unbiblical to touch your mouth in a person's neck, though it's designed to hold up a head. It's not unbiblical to touch your mouth in a person's ear, though it's designed to hear. Uh, as I said last week, uh, if one spouse is uncomfortable with what the other spouse considers spicing it up, then it's not appropriate. Then it's too far. Listen, if your spouse is not comfortable, then it is not biblical because the physical relationship is about love and commitment and being together, not pleasing yourself. Can I make a suggestion to you? See, see, we will never do this if we don't think about this issue right. We, remember, sex is not dirty, it's private, and to be between a husband and a wife. And because so many people have thought wrongly about it, and our t culture twists, uh, twists this, we don't think rightly about it. Have you ever thought about praying that your desires, that, that God would help your desires be okay with what your spouse is okay with? Have you ever thought about that? See, see, because we don't think rightly about this issue, we don't ever pray about it. You, you, you know, if you're the person who thinks that things need to be way more spiced up, have you ever prayed that God would help you be content with what your spouse is willing to do? If you're the one who always feels like, wow, you know, my spouse is pushing me farther than I want to go, have you ever prayed that God would help you to appropriately be open to some things? And, and again... Uh, yeah, I'll stop. Question number five. How do I in, in, enjoy sex after being raped as a young person and after going through a divorce? Uh, this is an old question. I honestly think this was from nine times ago. 
Uh, every time we teach this class, I have a similar question. Uh, how do you have a se healthy sex life after being sexually abused? How do I have a healthy sex life after my husband or wife has cheated on me? Uh, every time. Uh, first, let me just say this, and, and I say this with as much tenderness and compassion. I, I am sorry that you went through that. I, I mean that. I really am. I am generally heartbroken for you. Uh, but I will say this, is that by the grace of God, you can overcome these terrible events and by wise thinking. What I suggest, uh, the first thing you need to do, you need to forgive whoever it is that raped and abused you. Uh, remember, we don't forgive because someone deserves it. They don't deserve it. Uh, we forgive for Christ's sake. If you don't forgive them, hear me when I say you will be in bondage to that evil deed all your life. See, part of, of the reason you forgive is to set yourself free. Um, the other thing I would say is, is, listen, you know, if you have enough strength and the statute of limitations hasn't passed, uh, listen, uh, get law enforcement involved. If you don't, you know, they might do that evil to somebody else. Here's the second thing I would suggest. Uh, for those of you who've been through divorce, just honestly face what happened. You know, face whatever part you have in it. Take responsibility for your part. Don't take responsibility for your spouse's part. Uh, get God's forgiveness. Forgive them for their part. Forgive yourself for your failures. And if you, again, if you don't do that, you will always be in bondage to what happened. Here's the third thing. Uh, be honest with your spouse about your struggles. I think, and you may disagree, but I, I think this area of life for a husband and wife, I, I think is the dif most difficult area to discuss because um, people are very sensitive to it. And you're sensitive not, to not want to hurt your spouse's feelings in this too, so it's hard, hard to talk about. But, uh, you know, try to talk about it because, you know, there's sometimes, uh, whether it's places or things, you, you know, some things can give you more hard feelings than others. Uh, now, depending on your definition of sexual abuse and who's taken the survey, 20 to 60% of women have experienced some kind of sexual abuse. I mean, think about that. That's either one in five or one in two. Um, and so you're not alone. Um, if you, by the grace of God, can, can overcome this, you will be able to help other women in, in a way that someone who hasn't experienced that will be able to help them. Uh, listen, please make your victory over this a daily matter of prayer. I mean, every day, dear God, help me forgive. Anybody who says to you, uh, if you've really forgiven, you forget, that's a lie. That, that's not true. I've heard preachers say that. That's false. Listen, God doesn't forget what happens. He's omniscient. What God does is he begins to handle the situation when someone's forgiven uh, as if they didn't do it, but he didn't forgive them. He, he didn't forget it. And that's what you have to do. Don't try to forget it. Try to forgive, which means you leave any justice that needs to be done in God's hands. Listen, God will bring justice. And 
uh, again, I, I just, my heart breaks for you, and, and I plead with you for your own sake. Set yourself free and, and, and forgive. Uh, question number six, how do you handle the situation if the wife has more desire for sex than her husband? Now, uh, almost never do a husband and wife have the same desire for frequency of sex as their spouse, almost never. And some people make the mistake of thinking it's always a husband who wants more sex than the wife. Now, that is usually the case, but not always. And so the answer is the same as when a husband wants to be intimate more than the wife. Uh, for the sake of your spouse, you meet somewhere in the middle. And one of you will need to be more intimate than you prefer, and the other less than you prefer. Now, you say, well, I just get sick of always hearing uh, that it's always the men. Listen, uh, if you are single, it probably bothers you to hear uh, all these messages on marriage. If you don't have children, it probably bothers you to hear messages on parenting. It always, whenever you hear somebody preach and teach the Bible or read some book and some subject, you take the parts that apply to you. And, and that's uh, true on this. And um, pray for your spouse if it's really that bad. Question number seven. Who would be better to talk about the birds and bees to our preteen child? Uh, I think in an ideal world, uh, it would be best if a husband and wife can together talk about them. Listen, because this area of life is so difficult to talk about, you know, again, we struggle to talk about it uh, with our children and, and, and understand that eventually your children are going to find out about this stuff. It's a question of whether you want to give them accurate godly information or whether you want them to find out ungodly information that isn't even always correct. Now, again, in our home, Sharon preferred, uh, we have boys, she preferred that I handle it. Uh, I talked to each of our boys, I, I read a book about it. I made notes, I had an outline. Now, I didn't break the outline out like I was preaching. I had in my mind what I was gonna go through and what subjects I wanted to cover. And uh, we talked to our oldest two boys between fourth and fifth grade. Um, they seemed genuinely shocked. Um, we talked to our youngest son between fifth and sixth grade, and honestly, uh, I think we didn't catch him all by surprise. Um, and so probably, in hindsight, we waited too long with him. And I, I don't, I, I'm not telling you when to do this, but, but I am saying, listen, re remember, you give your kid a lot of hang-ups in life if you teach them that this is dirty, instead of teaching them that this was designed by God and is good in the boundaries of marriage. And help your child's future by handling it well. And I just say I'm glad to move on from this. Um, you know, it's awkward for you to hear. It's awkward for me to teach. But how in the world can you have a, a, an effective marriage class when everybody in this room knows that we have a lot of disagreements in our home over this? and not talk about it. So if you didn't like that I talked about it, forgive me. Um, Acts chapter 15. We're going to move on to a new subject, and we're going to talk, begin talking about fair fighting. Uh, how can we disagree without hurting one another? Uh, my wife is sitting here. Uh, I couldn't tell you when the last time we had something that would be called a fight. I mean, decades. Um, probably something over 25 years. Uh, we disagree all the time, 
all the time. I can't tell you how much we disagree. Uh, sometimes we disagree very pointedly over things. We had things this past week over handling the grandkids where we pointedly disagreed on, on what's going to be done. You're never going to get to the place where you're not going to disagree. In fact, what I would almost say is if you don't disagree over everything, uh, over anything, something's wrong. All right, you're two different people. Um, Acts chapter 15, uh, how can we disagree and not hurt one another? Acts 15 verse 36 says, Some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from uh, them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Many of you, if you are Bible students, you're pretty familiar with this story. They, these two men, both Paul and Barnabas, they were godly men. They were great friends. They served in ministry together for a long series of time. They did great things. God greatly used them both. Uh, but this happened because a family member was involved. Uh, Mark was Barnabas' nephew. And one of the areas where people sometimes don't see very clearly is when it comes to their family and handling family. And uh, a lot of times you may think that uh, you may get spiritual enough to where you're not going to disagree, but these were two spiritual men, and they had a very sharp disagreement. Uh, what I would also say to you uh, Truth should never be uh, thinner than blood. <laughs> uh, to so many people, blood is thicker than truth. And they would rather take the side of someone in their family than they would take the side of the truth, which in essence is taking God's side. Now, some of you may not be sensitive to this at all. Sharon and I, uh, when we were saved as adults, we did not have any family, no friends in the church whatsoever. And I saw a lot of times where blood was thicker than truth. It shouldn't be like that. Uh, but even Barnabas, uh, this involved his nephew. It not only happened because family was involved, uh, it, it happened because they spent a lot of time together. You know, the more time you spend with somebody, the more you know their faults. By the way, that's one of the reasons husbands and wives sometimes struggle to respect each other like they should because you're really familiar with areas where they're not what they should be. And that's true with Barnabas and Paul here. Uh, both men meant well. Uh, understand, they both agreed that Mark should be forgiven. The dis disagreement wasn't should Mark be forgiven for leaving the mission trip early. The disagreement was... Is he ready, after being forgiven, to go on the next mission trip? Or does he need to stay behind and have longer time to uh, get back, uh, so to, to speak, um, where he's not going to fail again? It was an important issue that they couldn't just overlook. I mean, this was a missionary trip. You know, lots of times we can agree just to disagree and move on. Th this wasn't like that. Uh, something had to happen. And both people had strong personalities. 
strong feelings. Now, I don't know what your house is like. A lot of our houses have two strong personalities. And there's a lot of issues that come up where both of us have strong feelings. Um, and they had a strong disagreement, and they went their way. Uh, listen, uh, God purposely did not make you and your spouse to think the same way about everything or to look at everything the same way, purposely. What God did, though, he did establish an order for handling disagreements, and he did give us principles to help us face our disagreements. L listen, God on purpose made men the head of the home. God on purpose made the wife the heart of the home. And as the head of the home and heart of the home face the real issues of life, understand that the head and heart don't always look at things the same way, which means, you know, we're just set up for some of these disagreements. And so you and I, if we want our home to be a peaceful place, not a place where there's no disagreements, you're always going to disagree. But if we want our home to be a peaceful place, we're going to have to learn how to work through these times when we disagree. Listen, you will inevitably disagree. You never have to have a fight. Never. There are a lot of homes where a husband and wife really at one point genuinely loved each other, and yet they handled their disagreements so poorly that they turned their home into a battleground and they slowly eroded what was a good relationship and at the root of that erosion was the fact that they didn't handle when they disagreed well. So how can we improve the way we handle our disagreements? That's a great question. How could we, quote, fight fair? Go please first to your Bible to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Uh, not Acts 12. Proverbs 12, I'm sorry. Proverbs chapter 12. How many people had your parent tell you when you were a kid, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you? I mean, I think we've all heard that. You realize that that's only partially true. Uh, names don't hurt you physically, but they do hurt you. Um, and so really the first thing we need to do if we're going to disagree well, here's number one, be careful how you talk to your spouse when you disagree. Be careful how you talk to your spouse when you disagree. Uh, notice the way the Bible describes our words. By the way, the average person in here, you're not careful about your words when you disagree. The average home that people come from, that come from parents who were not careful how they disagreed. And they didn't handle their words well. Uh, if you've been in premarital counseling with me, you've heard me ask this question before, but I'll just ask you this. I mean, why when you disagree don't you pick up a knife and stab them? Why when you disagree don't you go get your gun and shoot them? By the way, there's people that do. It's on their list of acceptable behavior. If I'm this angry, I'm going to stab them. 
There's people where it's acceptable behavior where I'm so angry, I'm going to shoot them. And listen, in your list today, that's not on there. You say, well, that's not on my list. No matter how angry I get, no matter what they do, I'm not going to stab them. I'm not going to shoot them. And, and what I want to put in your head as we begin to think about this is I want you to add some things to the list. Some things you add to the list of no matter what happens, no matter how angry I get, I will not. Just like grabbing a knife and stabbing them, just like getting a gun and shooting them, I, I want you to add some things to the list. But first I want us just to see and be reminded of how important our words are and how God describes them. In Proverbs 12, 25, it says, Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Notice a good word makes a glad heart. Notice chapter 15, verse 23, just a little bit forward. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good is, is it? Notice that your words uh, can bring you joy, you answer the right way. Notice a word that's spoken at the right time is good. Look at chapter 16 and verse 24. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul, health to the bone. Notice how pleasant words are described. Uh, chapter 18 and verse 8 says the words of a talebearer are as wounds. They go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Notice here, uh, your words can be wounds. Notice your words go deep inside. They don't just cut you in the skin. Chapter 25 and verse 11. These are just the ways God describes words. You say, why are you going to this trouble? Because we don't treat them this way. The average person in here uh, either comes from an environment or you yourself uh, give yourself the right to say whatever you think you can say uh, when you're angry or that you have a disagreement. Notice in Proverbs 25, 11, how it describes words. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of, the sil of silver. And, it, and that's a word picture. A word spoken rightly, fitly spoken you know, it is like golden apples in a, in a, in a, in a silver uh, pitcher. Uh, Psalm 64, 3 says, Who wet their tongue like a sword and their bows to shoot arrows, even bitter words. Listen, our words, it's no surprise to anybody here. They're swords. They're pleasant. They're good. They're joyful. They hurt us inside. I have no doubt that there are people here, you're way more insecure in life than you need to be because of things that were said to you when you were growing up. I have no doubt in here that there's people that you're insecure in your home and in your relationship and in you who, who you are as a husband and a wife because of things that have been said to you. And the Bible speaks a lot about the power of our words. Jesus said that by our words we shall be justified and not by our words we shall be condemned. It only takes one person controlling their tongue to make things 90% better. See, almost Christianity says, they said it, therefore now I have right to say it. 
Real Christianity says what they say has nothing to do with my right to say it. Real Christianity is not at all controlled by the people around us. Real Christianity, our words are completely controlled by being yielded to the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter what they say. It only takes one person controlling their tongue to make things 90% better. It always takes two to fight. Uh, and so I want to just, we'll begin talking about just for some advice for our words. Uh, Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. I mean, the average person in here, you're probably not going to stab your spouse. Probably. But the average person in here, you are going to be careless about your words. You say, well, they deserve what I said to them. Uh, did Christ deserve for you to say that? Here's the first advice. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. Here's number one. Avoid yelling. Avoid yelling. Do, do, you, do you know how hard it is to keep yelling at someone who doesn't yell back? That, that's what it says. A soft answer turneth away wrath. It's really, really hard to keep yelling and stay angry at someone who doesn't get angry and doesn't yell back. Grievous words stir up anger. When you let what they say allow you to be stirred up, you're going to stir up their anger. And so you have a choice. You're either going to pour water on the fire of your disagreement by raising your voice or, I'm sorry, gasoline on the fire of your disagreement by raising your voice or you're going to pour water under the fire of that disagreement by keeping your answer soft. Aren't we silly? We yell because they didn't hear us when we said it before. And we yell even louder. Listen, the problem is not them hearing. The problem is a soft answer turneth away wrath. Grievous words stir up strife. <laughs> Listen, either person keeping a gentle tone Helps. Here's the second thing when it comes to our words. Avoid using words like always and never. You always do this. You never do that. that. They're just not helpful. And by the way, they're basically almost never accurate. Here's the third thing. Avoid conflict in front of your children whenever possible. Uh, somebody said, how do we keep from arguing in front of your children? Let me ask you a question. How do you keep from doing other private things in front of your children? You decide. Listen, if you can decide to keep some aspects of your marriage private, why can't you decide not to argue in front of your children? Listen, stop living out being out of control with your words. Stop doing that. Uh, listen, when children watch one parent tear down the other parent 
what you subtly do is you are taking away something that God intended for them. When you tear down that other parent, you're not lifting yourself or your child up. You're tearing your child down. Somebody asked, should we fight in front of the children so they learn how to disagree? By the way, remember, it's very different to fight than disagree. We're always going to disagree. Always. Uh, We don't ever have to have a fight. What I would say is this. uh, If the disagreement is over never have that in front of the children. If the disagreement is over something else, and there's many other something else's, uh, and you disagree well, then you can have that disagreement in front of the children. That's how they learn. By the way, you're teaching them how to disagree when they watch you disagree. They're teaching you, uh, you're teaching them how to disagree when they disagree with you. Listen, people in this room, every one of us have things to overcome by the grace of God and the knowledge of what our Creator says. Uh, We all have things to overcome. I want you to give your children as few of those as possible. Uh, And what I would say, you know, and and I know this is not most of you, but it is some of you and all of you are going to be in situations where you're talking to other people. Listen, when someone's gone through a divorce, one of the things people most often do is they just try to absolutely destroy their ex-spouse. Whenever someone's talking to you, that's you, you know, resist that. If someone's really that bad, they will destroy themselves. Uh, Here's number four. Avoid bringing up the past. I I get it. Everything has context. But when you're genuinely trying to forgive and move on, you don't have this list of things they've done to you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10. We're just talking, just sitting around the kitchen table, talking about ways to disagree better to fight fair so to speak you're going to disagree by the way everybody in this room has violated these rules of disagreement myself included uh the more sharon and i have kept these things the better our home has been now don't think you're going to walk away from this class and always disagree well listen if you're maturing and you're growing, you're going to more and more handle things in your life like this. You say, why? Because they're the way our God teaches us to handle them. Here's number five, and I know some of you are going to hate this. Avoid talking too much. Avoid talking too much. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. He that refraineth his lips is wise. You know, some of the best advice you'll ever get is, A, don't talk too much, and B, especially don't talk too much when you're angry. Uh, Does everybody in here understand that when you're angry, your judgment is clouded? There's a reason that James says, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You're you're, you're not going to do what's right in God's sight when you're doing what you do out of anger. Avoid talking too much. You know, sometimes it's good to just say to the other person, hey, let's step away for a minute, and then we'll talk about this. I I don't care what time you pick. 
Uh, pick 10 minutes, pick 15 minutes, pick 30 minutes, pick 60 minutes. I don't know what kind of a hothead you are. Uh, I do know this, is that if you look at them and say, listen, I'm getting angry and um, this is not going to go good. Let's step away for 30 minutes and then talk about this again. One per again, one person having that much sensibility is going to make all the difference in the world. Uh, you see, when someone is talking less, it gives opportunity to listen. Remember when we talked about good communication? Good, communi good communication is not just being a good talker. It's also listening. Here's the next thing, number six, don't use profanity. 70% uh, of you said from our surveys that you yell at times when you disagree, and 30% of you uh, said you use profanity. Uh, by the way, 70% yelling and 30% using profanity doesn't make it okay. Look at Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 8. It says, all the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. Listen, by the way, if your view of profanity is I don't cuss unless I'm angry, you cuss. I, I, I'm out of time. I say this every time I think when we're in here. There is no substitute for having a good relationship with Jesus Christ when it comes to how we get along as a husband and a wife. See, when you are driven by, by this attitude, I want the Lord to be pleased with me. I want my, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable in thy sight. When you're driven like that, even one of you, it makes all the difference in the world. You should have a white sheet of paper. Write something on it, a question, a comment, a smiley face, or just fold it in half out of defiance for not using any ink and uh, just drop it in the box up here. God bless you. You're dismissed.